Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Saturday, December 16th, day 71 to the war with Hamas. Amanda Borshel Dan here with our political correspondent Tal Schneider and U.S. Bureau Chief Jacob Magid. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Tal. Hey, Amanda. Israel is reeling with the announcement that the IDF accidentally shot and killed three hostages in Gaza yesterday morning. We will hear reactions as well as what is happening in terms of talks to free more hostages. Jacob will update us on the recent visit of the U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. All of this and much, much more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Yotam Chaim Samar Talalka and Alon Lulu Shamriz managed to escape Hamas captivity before they were mistakenly shot dead by IDF troops on Friday morning at about 10 a.m. Yotam was a drummer for a heavy metal band. Samar worked in a kibbutz near Am Hatri. Alone was a computer engineering student. According to an initial IDF probe, the three hostages were shot dead by troops as they were shirtless and one of them was carrying a stick with a makeshift white flag of surrender. It, this incident began after a soldier stationed in the building about uh, several dozen meters away noticed the three men and thought that they were, of course, Hamas operatives. Essentially, what happened is a soldier began shooting, a commander told him to stop, and by the following few minutes, we saw that these three men were Two were killed, one was wounded, despite shouts of save us in Hebrew. It is something that the IDF is still investigating. On Wednesday, however, in what was initially thought to be unrelated to this deadly mistake, the, a senior officer said that several hundreds of meters away from where this deadly shooting took place, they saw a spray paint on a wall of a building reading SOS in English and another sign reading help three hostages in Hebrew. So the IDF is introducing new protocols. At the time, they believed that building was booby-trapped, which it possibly was, in fact. And we will hear more from Emmanuel Fabian as the week progresses about the lessons learned from this. But tell, tell us what we heard immediately from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Right, so uh, information was brought to the public late Friday night uh, during, uh, obviously, a Shabbat. Um, through the war, Netanyahu gave statements on Shabbat, but uh, he chose this time to just send this sort of a written statement uh, saying he's heartbroken 
and that he will give a statement in a press conference actually when, when Shabbat is out, which is tonight. Um, the person who was on camera briefing the, the Israeli public on that was uh, IDF spokesman Daniel Hagari, who became in those two and a half months the person which brings most of the news to the Israeli public. Um, Netanyahu gave, you know, as as we said, a general statement with, there was some criticism uh, late last night, how come he only, you know, rushing to the front of events when good things happen and when bad, you know, horrible, tragic things happen, he postpones his uh, messaging in 24 hours. Um, you know, this is, a, this, this is the way it's going on right now in Israel, where at least half of the public is, is you know, heavily dissatisfied with everything that goes on. We also have to mention that late last night, on a Friday night, people broke to the street, hundreds of people broke to the street in Tel Aviv, marching, calling this government to just, you know, reshuffle everything in the way they conduct the issue. They are calling for immediate release, um, even before any military um, success can be achieved. Um, as we all know, you know, hearing and listening to whatever is going on here, this is a very problematic cry when we all want them released immediately. But um, the military, um, you know, doing a grave mistake, obviously, on Friday morning is also trying its, in, in, in its you know, hardest way to work through this very problematic terrain, crowded areas, narrow streets, tons of um, booby traps and tons of uh, Hamas terrorists jumping from each corner. So I think, you know, Amanda, sometimes, you know, in, in those Shabbats and maybe even today, I think the Israeli public overall feel like we are living in this sort of uh, dystopian society when we are being hit again and again and again with only bad and depressing, I may say, um, um, information. It's uh, sad for me to say that, but this is, you know, this is the atmosphere around Israel these days. This is definitely the worst scenario possible, of course, that three hostages would free themselves and then are killed by us, by the IDF. And of course, our soldiers, the IDF soldiers are working in unknown territory. They're working in a situation in which there are Hamas operatives who strip themselves down and pretend they're about to surrender. And in fact, they've hidden weapons behind concrete rubble, etc., and shoot at our soldiers. So of course, this is a situation that our our soldiers were not prepared to fight with. So we understand, even as the hostage families are calling for more releases, that Mossad chief David Barnea has already met with the Qatari prime minister last night in an effort to kickstart talks. So what do we know about these talks at all? Right, according to reports, uh, Barnea and El Tani met in uh, Norway, uh, a European uh, country, obviously, so not in Qatar or not anywhere else in the Middle East. We don't know much details about this discussion. We know Israel has also approached the Egyptian uh, for help. Israel wants to have, you know, trying to think of a, of a way to broker a deal here. We knew for for a fact that a couple of days earlier, the Mossad chief Barnea wanted to already go to Qatar, but was stopped by Israel's government. Um, so, you know, the planning is back and forth. Even if there is something on the table, 
It's not coming up very, very soon. And every day that goes by, we are seeing more bodies. Uh, you know, a day before those three were shot by the Israeli IDF soldiers, three other bodies were pulled out of, of, of uh, hostages. So... Um, you know, you, we have soldiers that are getting killed and hostages that are getting killed, murdered by Hamas, or as we, we saw yesterday, um, killed by our troops. It's a devastating situation. Of course, the bodies may have been from the October 7th massacre already. Jacob, weigh in here. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to see a lot more pressure on the government to try to strike a deal, given that in the past few weeks since the truce ended on December 1st, there was this assumption, and even before that, that the only way we're going to be able to get some sort of uh, hostage agreement is if we bring Hamas to its knees through force, that only force will allow us to bring our hostages home. And I think with these past few days where we've seen, as Tal mentioned, all these bodies that we're recovering that aren't alive, and then, of course, this incident um, in Sajaiya we're going to see a lot more pressure on the government to maybe try to take some initiative is what the hostages' families are talking about, not wait for Hamas to come to the table with an offer, but for Israel itself to come, come to the table and, and take an initiative to try to get uh, another deal on the table. Really tough decisions. Let's go to a short break. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I've found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. Jacob, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan has told the Israeli press several times that the Palestinian Authority should be responsible for governing Gaza at the end of Israel's war with Hamas. He's also released statements saying that, hey, the U.S. is not dictating the timeline of the war. What were other highlights of his trip? Right. So publicly, the messaging is very much so, as you mentioned, that they don't want to be dictating the timeline. However, privately, according to an Israeli and a U.S. official I spoke with, this was kind of the messaging um, that we want to see it end in weeks, not months. Now, this is not something new. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the same thing when he was in town two weeks earlier. So it's interesting that we're still talking in weeks. Uh, you could say 10 weeks. That's that's still weeks. So I think uh, we're not really likely thinking about maybe by the end of the year, which is what one U.S. official I spoke with said would be the ideal situation for the U.S., which is really coming under a lot of pressure, both domestically and from its allies uh, abroad, who it's going to be able to need to lean on afterwards to help secure the situation in Gaza. Um, the general assumption is maybe sometime in January that the U.S. is really going to start 
leaning harder on Israel. Um, but the the rhetoric that, that Jake Sullivan used, at least publicly, was to talk about shifting from what he called high-intensity fighting to low-intensity fighting. Now, obviously, we're currently in the high-intensity phase, and the low-intensity phase would be the IDF still is in Gaza to some degree, but maybe more pinpointed special ops forces trying to take out the leadership as opposed to this where tens of thousands of soldiers are, are in Gaza all at once and uh, the bombing campaign is still quite quite intense. Um, he, he publicly, again, he didn't say when this will happen, but but again, privately, I think they're looking to sooner rather than later. It's noteworthy that, that Defense Minister Yoav Gallant made a point of publicly telling Jake Sullivan that, no, we're talking about months. We're going to need months to do this. Um, we're seeing that the IDF's already two and, two and a half months in and not really totally in control of northern Gaza yet. Um, so it's it's going to take that either it's taking longer or um, that they anticipated or it's just that that this is not going to be a, a quick fix here. The other thing that Jake Sullivan again talked about was uh, the need to again try to limit civilian casualties. There were specific conversations of tactics that can be used. And I know that when Lloyd Austin, the secretary of defense, comes to the Israel over the weekend, that he'll also be talking about this as well, that he's had this messaging that's been kind of unique to him where he's talked about you might the IDF might be able to get some sort of tactical victory but they'll have a strategic defeat if they have all these ma- mass amounts of civilian casualties that it's just going to brew another generation of people who are very obviously have a lot of animosity towards Israel over what's been going on. So I think uh, that's going to be the messaging that you'll continue to hear. Um, the other interesting part as you mentioned Amanda about was the visit that Jake Sullivan made to the West Bank uh, to meet with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, that this is an effort to kind of bolster the image of the Palestinian Authority in a way that will help pave its way for a return to Gaza. Now, of course, this is not something Israel's on board with, but the U.S. is trying to move forward regardless with this idea. And he talked with, and Jake Sullivan talked with Abbas about ways to boost the PA. Um, there's talk that wasn't happening in this meeting, but on the sidelines of it, about possibly appointing some sort of prime minister that's more empowered, that can really help um, reform the PA. There's not going to be an effort to directly push Abbas out of the picture. I think they recognize that they can't do that. There's sort of regime change, but trying to empower someone, a vice president or a prime minister, who can try to move the PA in a better direction that will be in, put it in a better place to to rule Gaza one day. And then uh, the PA proposed to the U.S. that they have these 3,500 soldiers or security force members in the West in the Gaza Strip that they think that re- they can reactivate. They were used to be in, in ruling Gaza and the in security there, and now they think that they can reactivate them in a scenario later on to help restore security to Gaza. So that was something that the, the U.S. wants to hear and was, was um, looking to try to figure out how the PA can really move in that direction. Todd, this idea of having the PA in charge of Gaza is not only not popular in the Likud party, but it's also, I would say, perhaps even across the board unpopular in the Knesset. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would definitely agree. You, when you read the plans put out by uh, Yair Lapid, Lieberman, Benny Gantz, they all they all say that uh, the Palestinian Authority is at, at its at its current form is irrelevant for um, you know future. Um, the future situation of Gaza. Uh, it's hardly relevant for the for the West Bank, if I may say, but, you know, they are um, not supporting Netanyahu in, in the way things are conducted because Netanyahu is is not putting a plan at all, is not even engaging in a discussion. And this is something that was, you know, that this is something that took place about Gaza for 
you know, the last 15 years, Netanyahu never put a plan with respect to Gaza. He was heavily criticized about that inside Israel from all political parties for not, you know, putting a plan um, because we all always knew that Gaza was a huge problem. So right now, basically, Yair Lapid and Gantz and the rest of them, they say not putting a plan is a huge problem. But if you ask us, we don't want to see the Palestinian Authority at this current situation um, moving forward with control. They are looking for uh, um, alternative international arrangements. Um, and, um, you know, Palestinian Authority in Israel is considered as corrupt, very corrupt. Um, I would say also we need to put the spotlight on, on UNRWA because we know UNRWA is being um, heavily financed by American taxpayers' money and European taxpayers' money. But here in Israel, of any kind of future arrangement, they want to see UNRWA shut down. They blame UNRWA for, um, you know, being engaged in terror activity. Uh, if, if you look at UNRWA's website, actually, in the past, you would find statement by UNRWA themselves admitting to wrongdoings in, in past operations, such as holding um, rockets in their own schools and, you know, other other engagements. Um, so it's both, it's, it's important to pay attention to, to both UNRWA and the Palestinian Authority not to be part of a future, a future arrangement. Jacob, remind us what is UNRWA and then weigh in. Yeah, UNRWA is the UN agency for Palestinian refugees. Uh, there are other, there's another UN agency that works with refugees, but this is one specifically designed to to work with Palestinian refugees. Now, I think um, there's definitely a lot of allegations regarding corruption and um, and mismanagement and and inc the incitement that it allows in its schools. Um, but what's also interesting is that Israel in the past has actually asked the U.S. and other countries to to continue funding the agency sometimes because it recognizes that no nobody else is going to be on the ground to to help manage the refugee camps in Gaza or or the, or many places in West Bank. And that if Israel's not going to be the one providing aid to these populations, then nobody's going to be doing it um, unless it's UNRWA. At the same time, of course, Tal, you gave an explosive report at the very beginning of the war in which you carefully laid out how Netanyahu has propped up Hamas over the past many, many years. This was, of course, uh, reiterated in a New York Times report, I believe, last week. And we aren't hearing any kind of apology from Netanyahu about that, are we? Not even uh, an apology. We don't hear even uh, admission to the fact that uh, he that was the agenda. He keeps on saying, um, "This is only the media saying that was my agenda." That's it's not that is that is not true. I was uh, fighting off Hamas and so on. So we don't have even a recognition. Not just Netanyahu, the entire right wing, um, you know, um, ranks of Israel's public, you know, public personas, they, they just deny it, which is um, sort of ridiculous because, you know, you have so many proofs for that. Um, so, yeah, this is the way it has been going with Netanyahu. He kept on, on saying through the years, no to something and what should not be done or giving negative comments on, on, on an agenda. Uh, it happened with Iran. It happened with Gaza. It happens everywhere, but he is avoiding from suggesting any any sort of of solution. And along those lines, Jacob, the current uh, 
ask to avoid is essentially the ask to avoid even speaking about the two-state solution. What do you know about this? Yeah, so there's been this quiet private campaign by Israeli leaders to try to convince the U.S. not to talk too much about the two-state solution, which is definitely the big buzzword that the U.S. has been talking extra time about uh, since the war, that it feels that now we have this opportunity with uh, the fall of hopefully Hamas, that the PA can return to Gaza, we'll have this united rule between the West Bank and the PA and the the Gaza Strip, and then that can pave the path, the road to a two-state solution with Israel. But Israeli officials do not see it that way. Tal mentioned there's not a lot of popularity of the PA. There's not a lot of excitement about the idea of a two-state solution right now. One Israeli official I spoke with said that basically talk about two states right now after October 7th is just you know, a reward for terrorism. And that he said that Netanyahu isn't the only one talking about this, while he's the only one talking about it very loud, loudly and quote-unquote rudely. But it's a feeling across the political spectrum. Even Isaac Herzog um, gave this interview to Associated Press a few days ago where he said, what I want to urge is against just saying two-state solution. Why? Because there is a mo- this is an emotional chapter here in Israel. My nation is, is grieving and my nation is in trauma. That was a carefully worded message that wasn't directly at the U.S., but I do know that privately Herzog has been among the officials, as well as Benny Gantz, the war cabinet minister, and Yair Lapid, the opposition chairman, who have been urging the U.S. to not talk about this publicly. And basically, Gantz, even before the war, talked about the idea of a two-entity solution, less than a state for the Palestinians. Um, And then last week, he gave a speech where he talked about the importance of getting rid of old concepts. Yair Lapid, who has talked about support for two states when he was prime minister last year, now is talking not about the term and even saying there's no chance that we can allow Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, to be in the picture afterwards. He actually has talked about allowing the PA, though. So both Gantz and Lapid have been taking this new track while also criticizing Netanyahu for what they call as manufacturing disputes with the U.S. on this. Um, they pointed to the, the really harsh rhetoric that Netanyahu has given against uh, the PA. He's talking about Gaza not being allowed to become Fatahstan, which Fatah is uh, Mahmoud Abbas's party, and really no kind of flexibility regarding any sort of Palestinian governance in Gaza. And what I've spoken with U.S. officials is they've been quite frustrated with this, that they feel like he's in this political campaign and that he's even so politically motivated in the way he's acting that their fears in Washington among some right now, even officials, is that he's going to try to delay this war to for his own political gain, even if it's not for the, the country's gain. So Biden weighed in on this last week and said basically in this campaign fundraiser that Bibi's got to change, that he can't keep saying he's against two-state solution. And this, these remarks really set off alarm bells in Jerusalem. And there was this effort before Jake Sullivan got there on, on Thursday that we to try to, or while he was there, to try to convince him, don't talk about this so much. It's really not so popular right now. We need to change the rhetoric on this. And they kind of succeeded. Jake Sullivan didn't really talk too much about it, either in his Channel 12 interview or in his short um, press appearances before each of his meetings. But when he when he did give a press conference on Friday before leaving, he did finish the, his opening remarks by saying, we, we still support a two-state solution. It's a goal of ours. Um, and then in Washington, we've had spokespeople on Thursday doubling down on it, 
both in the State Department and the White House. So I don't think the White House is changing uh, its tone on this. I spoke with a U.S. official who said, we're aware of these Israeli requests, but we have our own domestic politics and our own diplomatic standing to consider because we're doing so much for Israel already. He said he pointed to the military aid and the Security Council resolutions that it's vetoed. And and he said that Israel just needs to understand that we have to do this. And I'll just add that, of course, Biden has his own campaign. Uh, Jacob, Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another episode tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have any comments or questions about this or other episodes, please drop us a line at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.